0: miss to, to the top. You're tuned in to the
2: Eagle Hour.
3: Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Eagle Hour. I'm Bob Getty in the First Bank Studio here in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Luke Johnson will be joining me a little later in the program, as will as will Kelly Santer. Opening segment of the show, is sponsored by Dickey's Barbecue Pit. Proud supporters of this show, and we're proud to be their friends. Uh, they're serving up that great food seven days a week. We would encourage you to help support them by uh, enjoying some delicious Dickey's food, either through their drive through window or home delivery. It's available for you seven days a week. Just because the restaurants aren't open in Hattiesburg does not mean you can't enjoy the restaurant food. It's very simple. Go to Dickies.com, place your order. They'll have it ready for you when you get there. You can pick it up through the drive-thru or you can set up a delivery and they will bring it right to your house. And it's just as good as always. Dickey's Barbecue Pit, we thank them for their support of the Eagle Hour. All right, we're going to be talking golf uh, hopefully later in the show with a former golfer by the name of Ben Snow from Southern Miss. Kelly will be joining us a little later. Luke will catch up with us uh momentarily but uh for now we go down to thursday it's a thursday so we go down uh, through, i used to say to the gulf coast but now we go to new orleans to find our uh our buddy patrick mcgee from the biloxi sun herald and patrick i uh, hope you're covid free and doing well
4: yeah we're all still covid free and in and laying low and, and things are going pretty good so far
3: well good deal all right lots to talk to you about today pat uh you had a great article i thought this week uh had a good conversation you did with uh, Jeremy McLean, uh, Southern Miss Athletic Director. I read an article before I came on the air today that was uh, was done by some other entity with the old Miss Athletic Director. You know, he he was very wishful about a lot of things, but really couldn't say specifically what he thought would happen uh, come fall. What what were you able to uh, learn from your conversation with Jeremy?
4: Well, I, I think uh, I think the one thing is everybody's going to be determined. Uh, to make sure football is as normal as possible that it happens just because uh, it's so crucial to, to Southern Miss and it's crucial to so many other programs. So uh, McClain wasn't really, you know, pie in the sky or anything about, you know, his hopes for the upcoming season. He, he just admits there's still just a lot of things that they don't know. Uh, you know, will they be able to start on time on September 5th? Will it be pushed back? Uh, I mean, there's even rumor pushed up, but I don't think that happens. Uh, so, yeah, it's, so many unknowns, uh, but you know he acknowledged that that some things may be changing in regards to scheduling the future for basketball, baseball, other sports. Uh, they'll be playing you know games a little closer to home, even within the conference. I think there was a report out report out uh, today or yesterday out of West Virginia that the conference was looking at I think either five or six uh, opponents where in basketball that they would play home at home. So in other words, you would play uh, five or six teams twice within conference play, which is very different than the current setup where it's, you know, only Miss plays Louisiana Tech twice. Mm-hmm. So maybe you would throw in a UAB or a Rice, uh, maybe North Texas and their teams that Southern Miss would play twice. Uh, so, uh, you know, Conference USA, Southern Miss is trying to get innovative and try and tighten the budget. You haven't heard much out of Southern Miss. You're in some larger programs that are furloughing coaches, cutting uh, pay by 20%, you know, stuff like that. Uh, nothing like that extreme out of Southern Miss up to this point, uh, but it's, it's, it's just a lot of uncertainty right now until uh, they know when they can get those athletes on campus.
3: Does he have any sort of time frame as to when they might be beginning to gather some information, Patrick? He,
4: he, he gave off the impression that maybe in the next couple of weeks that we'll find out more uh, from Conference USA. I, I think it's pretty obvious the conference has tried to act as a whole uh, up to this point. Uh, you know, it, you, you see Notre Dame and some other schools possibly striking out on their own and, and, and determining this stuff for themselves. But uh, I would think uh, we would probably hear something from Conference USA this month.
3: So it's interesting to hear you say that he, he referenced scheduling in basketball. That Does that indicate that that the conference is looking past football in regard to being affected by this virus all, all the way into basketball season?
4: Right, yeah, and and it's so hard to really change football. We're kind of late in the game for football. You know, it starts up in September. Uh, It would be really tough to really, you know, dramatically change your schedule at this point. Uh, you want to play all 12 of those games, it may not happen. It may be 10, only 10 or something like that. So I think they're going to try to keep it as normal as possible as they can when it comes to football, but at some point they've got to acknowledge probably that they won't be able to do all the things they want to in terms of attendance and in terms of uh, playing the schedule. Uh, as it as it currently stands, so uh, right now I think everybody just understands they need that football season because without it, you know, revenue really dries up. Dries up.
3: Well, for a school like Southern Miss, though, do, will you enjoy any real revenue if you have to play football without fans in the stands?
4: No, I mean <laughs> uh, that's that's really difficult for the smaller programs that don't have the the large TV contract money mm-hmm. uh, coming in. And uh, Southern Miss really needs that because attendance and ticket sales is really what drives revenue. And uh, I think we're going to see, you know, from here on out, a different approach to scheduling and maybe a different approach to a lot of different things from these schools, understanding that, you know, smaller ones especially, that uh, the TV money isn't going to be there in the long run. Uh, I think even larger schools are going to have to understand that their, their TV contract, they probably kind of peaked out in terms of TV numbers. uh uh, tv dollars so uh the future of college athletics is going to be changed by this i think Uh and for for if schools uh, have to go through this year maybe half the season without fans or something like that i mean that's that's a major major blow
3: right elaborate just a little bit when you say that that schools are going to take a different look at scheduling what what do you what do you think are the are the kind of changes they're thinking about in that regard patrick
4: well, I, and I'm going to write a column on it whenever I really get the chance to do it. But it's, uh, I think we're going to see the landscape change. Landscape change to to kind of reflect what I've written about in the last few years. In that, you know, conference USA, the Sun Belt, some of these other conferences and they need to have a more regional look uh, than they currently have. So I, I think in the long run, we're going to see maybe some realignment. Uh, I'll try to go into more detail on that at some point. But I, I think the conferences themselves uh, will have a different look. Uh, maybe even, you know, dissolving some conferences and having maybe more eight- to nine-team conferences as opposed to 14-team uh-huh. uh, and, and just kind of build those conferences regionally because uh, when we go, you know, you go back to, to revenue and attendance and the only way you really generate more revenue is get more fans in the seats and the only way you get really larger crowds is, is to, of course, you want to win football games, but you also want to have uh, schools in the general vicinity that can bring a couple, at least a couple thousand people uh, to your stadium. Uh, you know, so I, I think we're going to see uh, some realignment and just changes mm-hmm. among the conferences about you know how they look and how close they are to the opponent, you know, their conference mates.
3: Which which has long been something that that I that I have thought true. You take a mm-hmm. school like a Southern Miss and and you go to your average home game and they're playing a school that's you know a thousand miles away. So right. they they have the parents there and taking nothing away from the other schools in the state, but they like to talk about their attendance. However, if Mississippi State plays LSU or Ole Miss plays Alabama or Auburn, you're going to have just as many Auburn and Alabama fans there as you will sell them tickets. Am I right about that? So so a lot of their attendance advantage is is fans from opposing schools, whereas a school like Southern Miss, that's, it's almost nonexistent.
4: Right. When, and they were able to build rivalries. Right. And it's really hard to build a rivalry with a, even though the, there was a decent rivalry between Southern Miss and Marshall, but their fans weren't able to go to the, you know, correct uh, the other sites games. Uh, if you're able to build rival, more rivalries with Louisiana Lafayette, South Alabama, maybe even a Troy, uh, you know, it's it makes more sense for a Southern Miss because I mean it, it, it you you're, you're able to cut down on travel costs. And you're able to put a few more people in the stands, so that that makes <laughs> that that makes sense to me.
3: Do you think uh, Do you think this puts Conference USA in any danger, Patrick, of 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 his of his existence?
4: Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, I, I could easily see the Conference USA. You know, the best thing that could probably happen is that maybe Conference USA shed a team or two, and, and maybe allow UTEP to go into the Mountain West, mm-hmm. and then. You know, uh, just realign with the Sun Belt, right? Essentially, you know, right. just you, you could even keep the same conference names. It's just the two conferences would have different lineups. Uh, one would be East, and one would be West, and then you would just kind of, you know, have have a partnership between those two conferences in in scheduling in basketball and non conference, even for you know football. So I think it makes perfect sense to me. I, I you know I just don't see how it doesn't happen. Maybe not in the next year, year and a half, but I think within three years.
3: You know, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that that's 100% correct. All right, we're going to hold Patrick over. We want to talk about the NFL scheduling that's coming out tonight. Patrick has some insight over the New Orleans Saints opening game. Courtney Blades also put into the initial Conference USA Hall of Fame. Talk a minute about her fabulous career and where she stands in regard to some of the greatest collegiate softball players in the country. And Luke Johnson will be joining us all when we come back. Southern Miss to the top. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're with us this afternoon. I want to thank you for tuning in each and every day at 1 o'clock. This segment is sponsored by Campus Bookmart and CampusBookmart.net. They're open. You can go by and get your apparel uh, face-to-face, or you can uh, go on the website, CampusBookmart.net. Order whatever you like. They've got a great inventory of spring and summer stuff, and uh, you can have it delivered right to your front door. That is CampusBookmart.net. We're talking to Patrick McGee from the Biloxi Sun-Herald out of the city of New Orleans presently, and uh, Luke Johnson is uh, now with us at the First Bank uh, studio in uh, Laurel. You know, we were talking during the commercial break, uh, Patrick, to you about uh, the possibility of, of some realignment between CUSA uh, and uh, the Sun Belt Conference and uh, how great that could be for a school like Southern Miss if it were a football, basketball, baseball uh, realignment that would allow every year to be playing the, the South Owls and the uh, Louisiana Lafayettes and the Louisiana Monroe's. It just seems, and we've talked about this before on the show, but it just seems to me that would just build a lot of really natural and exciting rivalries.
4: Yeah, and I, I think there's, there's – I'm, I'm sorry, was Luke going to address this?
3: or No, I, that was a question for you. Luke can chime okay. in, but that's for you, yeah. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I mean, I would just, uh, and there's even uh there's even some conversation. I think John Gilbert pitched this to me, that where you would have your baseball and basketball conferences separate of your football conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you would be build regional baseball conferences and regional basketball conferences. They're just going to have to get innovative, and uh, under the current situation, uh, it would make perfect sense now for Southern Mississippi playing uh South Alabama's and Louisiana Lafayette and, and Troy, and some of these you know schools that you can bust to. Right. You know, even Louisiana Monroe you'd have to squeeze in even though they're kind of a program that's kind of struggling financially at this point you have to probably kind of include them in Arkansas state. Uh so yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense for that to happen cuz it, it's just going to impact everybody's bottom line for the for the positive.
3: Maybe that's a good thing that comes out of COVID-19. Luke Johnson, this man has some news about your beloved Houdats and who they're going to open the season with.
4: Yeah, Fire away, Patrick, uh, what you got? Uh, Nick Underhill, i got to credit him. He's reporting that the Saints will open the season with the, the Tom Brady and the Buccaneers in New Orleans. Wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: the last time Tom
0: Brady was in the Superdome, he got lit up on Monday night. I was there. I hope <laughs> it happens again.
3: <laughs> Would you like that, Luke? Would you like to open up against Brady and Gronk?
0: Well, Von Bell, Patrick's favorite Saint player, won't be there to open up on a pick six, so we'll have to settle somebody else to do that.
3: Good stuff. Well they they announce uh, they announce the schedules tonight, and uh, Luke, a lot of fanfare for. The, I, I guess it's just a sign of the times. A lot of fanfare tonight well, over over the the scheduling of the NFL.
0: Patrick, we were joking earlier in the week that the lead story on ESPN was the 74 greatest NBA jerseys of all time, okay? So you know you're hurting for material. (laughs) How can you fill three hours worth of an NFL scheduled preview show? How do you do that?
4: You talk a lot. (laughs) Uh, I mean, that's all you can do. And, you know, I don't watch, you know, much of ESPN. You know, I've watched more of ESPN these days than I have in a while because I've been watching the Jordan uh, documentary and, I found myself, you know, watching reruns of South Korean baseball at, at nine in the morning, just because I need to inject something into my veins to keep me alive. And and it's, uh, but yeah, I I don't think I'll be watching. I just I'm one of those people. Even whenever like Southern Miss sends out the schedule, they send out this long press release, and I'm like, just send me the schedule. That's all I need to know. Right. So I'm just going to. I just need yeah. to look at that schedule. Uh, it's sixteen. They, is it sixteen or seventeen this year? Seventeen. I forget. 17, Seven, seventeen under
0: games. the uh, new yeah. agreement. All right.
4: Seventeen. So yeah, that's that's the interesting part is how do you kind of kind of plot out a seventeen game schedule as opposed to a sixteen. Hmm.
3: The
0: Saints and the so Bucks. if wow. if they go that that will have to be a Sunday night or Monday night game, won't it?
4: Yeah, I would think so. I, I haven't heard. Usually at that Thursday night game, but I'm I'm assuming. Uh, we won't find out what that is until tonight, unless it leaks out here pretty soon.
0: We uh, we haven't asked you uh, to comment. This is outside the Saints, but we were because of Kelly and being a Bengals fan. We thought it was really surprising. We kind of had Andy Dalton shoot into the Patriots. Uh, there was only it's like six quarterbacks with thirty thousand yards. Playoff wins, uh, seventy touchdowns or something like that, and it was like Brady, Breeze, Roethlisberger, and a few more of the studs. And Andy Dalton is right in there. He ends up as Dak Prescott's backup. Your your yeah. thoughts on Dalton going to the Cowboys?
4: Well, I mean, I, I think that's a pretty strong backup for the Cowboys. You know, he'll he'll fit in right. well with a lot of what, you know, good players around him. So I think that's good for the Cowboys to kind of make that move. But yeah, I'm kind of sitting here scratching my head on what the Patriots are going to do with quarterback. is basically going to be a Kind of a, a no name uh, taking snaps, so it's it's. I guess it's the former Baylor quarterback that they're looking at as their starter at this point. Stidham, uh, so, yeah, from Auburn. No, Stidham. That's right, Stidham. Uh, so yeah, it's it's, it's uh, Yeah, I, I mean they've done a good job of developing quarterbacks in the past. We all see uh, Graplo at San Francisco, and even Matt Castle was a backup, and he was able to win some games mm-hmm. elsewhere. So uh, maybe they see something in Stidham. Mm.
3: Patrick, why does why does no team seem to want Cam Newton?
4: Oh uh, well, he's broken. You know, he's just not healthy. You know, he just hasn't looked healthy mm-hmm. uh, in the over the last year or two. So I think that's the main holdup. If if you know, it's it's it, it, you know, they're just somebody's going to have to get him in for a physical, and he's gonna, just going to show him he's still a physical freak that can throw the football. But his mechanics throwing the ball have been pretty bad. They were never great, but as he got, you know. More and more banged up, those those flaws as a passer just kind of start to show up more and more.
3: Uh-huh. And and is it fair to say too that you bring a lot of drama, you bring a lot of attention to the team as well. And if you're gonna if you're gonna accept that, you want to you want to be able to justify that on the field. Is that a fair statement?
4: Well, I mean, you can make the argument that uh, Jameis Winston could be, you know, is obviously more of a black eye than a Cam Newton is in terms of, like, bringing drama and maybe attention that you don't want. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I, I'm kind of surprised that he's lingered this long, but, you know, when I watch him, I don't want him. You know, I, I don't I don't think Cam Newton's a very good quarterback right now, at least what we've seen. I think he can be if he gets healthy, mm-hmm. uh, but he hasn't looked right for a while.
3: Well, Luke is convinced that it's a perfect fit for for Winston because of all the crabs that they're served down in New Orleans. Am I right <laughs> about that, Luke? <laughs> Can I just breathe? <laughs>
0: uh, I, I do. I, look, Jameis, if there's a place where he can get halfway right, Patrick, I think it is in, in New Orleans. I mean, Sean Payton can be the guy where he can be a dictator at the same time. He can be a very player-friendly player. Jameis knows this is his last chance. And so what you're doing is, and, and I don't know, you, you tell me, is, is he basically auditioning? to be the next starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints if he gets his stuff right where they can continue to get Taysom Hill as a versatile player? Or is this Taysom Hill will move more towards the face of a franchise this year?
4: Yeah, I, well, I, I think we'll see more of Taysom Hill. and I, I think Jameis Winston is just a one-year deal. I, I don't think the Saints want him past this year. It was just, just such a cheap and, and, in a lot of ways, sensible answer. Uh, to be the backup, I mean, you know that Jameis Winston can get, can get in there and move the offense, and you can score points in with him as a quarterback. Uh, he's just going to make the mistakes, going to hurt you here and there. So, it was just such a cheap answer, and a you know, and a talented guy that you can plug in as your backup uh, as an insurance policy. I mean, he's not Teddy Bridgewater in terms of reliability, but uh, he he at the very least you can catch kind of lightning in a bottle for maybe two to three games at a time. So, I think Winston makes sense from that regard, even though I don't want him. I don't want Winston anywhere near my
3: team. Patrick, just about 90 seconds left, but Courtney Blades uh, announced that she's one of the first members of the uh, Conference USA Hall of Fame, Athletic Hall of Fame. Put in perspective for people that may not uh, be familiar with her just how outstanding a softball player she was here. And where does Courtney Blades stack up when it comes to the greatest pitchers in collegiate women's softball?
4: Well, she was certainly kind of there uh, at the point where softball started to take off uh, nationally. It, you know, it, it, you know, back then Southern Miss went toe to toe with LSU and these other programs in the region and consistently beat them. Uh, and that was uh, uh, Lou Harris really built an impressive team uh, when she came over to softball as uh, a Southern Miss softball coach. And Courtney Blades was just a force. I mean, she threw what a perfect game or a no hitter up mm-hmm. in the College World Series and. Uh, she game. was just completely, yeah, perfect game. And she was, I mean, you could put her up there as possibly the greatest female athlete in history So Southern Miss Athletics. I mean, you, you know, you got a Tori Bowie. Uh, you put in there a Janice Felder and some of these other uh, uh, women who had won a lot of games and, and, and achieved big things. But I don't think anybody has been as dominant as Courtney Blaze was back then. I mean, that was, that was a powerhouse of a team. but She was the, the, really the driving force of the whole program.
3: And deserving to be included in that Hall of Fame, right? No question about no, that.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, you know, I remember going out to the, I guess it was they were playing at some field out in Lamar County at that point. Uh, you know, just mm-hmm. they didn't have a softball facility there whenever she was there. So uh, they were playing at kind of this small uh, rec facility, and you'd have hundreds, you know, uh, maybe even a couple of thousand people there to watch them play just because they were so darn good. Right, uh, you know, it was it was it was something that you know, if Southern Miss fans were there; they remember it.
3: All right, Patrick, we're glad you're safe and sound in New Orleans. We appreciate your contribution to the show each and every week. We look forward to having you back on next week. Okay, thanks, guys. Patrick McGee, everybody from the Biloxi Sun Herald, and our very good friend, always glad uh, to get Patrick's insight uh, into Southern Miss sports. We'll be right back.
0: To the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Always appreciate Patrick McGee for spending Thursday segments with us and always enjoy the professor's insight. Saints taking on the Buccaneers. First uh, game of the 2020 NFL football season. That is just, it gives me, makes my day knowing that that schedule's in place, Bob, and really makes me happy that the
3: Saints will smoke the Buccaneers. It's your two favorite teams, one. brother. I mean, it's the Saints and the Pats. How, how can you lose there, right?
0: Yeah, but but it's going to be the Buccaneers <laughs> now, so such a great division foe. Third segment of the Eagle Hour brought to you every day by 4th Street Bar & Grill, home of the 895 Lunch, specifically, specially served curbside right now. And we appreciate Slade White and his crew's support over at Four Street Bar and Grill in Hattiesburg it is an absolute gorgeous day outside and our next guest knows all about that Ben Snow four-year letterman for Southern Miss All-Conference USA in golf uh, back in 2003 and 2004 Ben joins us hailing from Canton Mississippi Ben how's this uh, beautiful Thursday going for you
1: uh it's going good I appreciate you guys having me on
0: See, I don't hear the wind in the background. I thought you'd be on hole 15 right now, about a 243 wood going in. Uh, what What is life like right now without being able to watch golf?
1: I'll tell you what, it is a, It is a strange time we live in. There's no doubt about it. Uh, like we were just talking a few minutes ago, I, uh, I never appreciated how much uh, sports and, and watching sports was a part of my life until it was all taken away on, on a single day. Uh, there's not a lot to... Not a lot to do these days, it seems like. I'm I'm ready for it. Bob's a
0: Redskins fan, so he never watched sports to begin with (laughs) in the last uh, 20 years or so. Boy, the Saints fans, I'm telling
1: you. I'm telling you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Going back to your career at Southern Miss, man, I found an astonishing statistic about you. In uh, the the 2003-2004 to season, Bob, this is pretty wild uh, uh, about Ben. Thirty five rounds, forty two percent were par or better. Ben, that, that is an astonishing I don't think I've ever shot par in my life. Forty two percent of your rounds, uh, that specific season were par or better. That that is that is highest or top four, I think, in Southern Miss history. What do you remember specifically about that season?
1: Wow, that's um that's a stat I've never heard. I actually didn't realize that. Um you know, my career kind of uh, I started in 99 and, and uh, kind of got off to a slow start uh, like most kids you come in thinking you're gonna uh, be the the change of the program and and, and uh, you got a lot of growing up to do and, and and learning how to get better and my first few years weren't too um, too successful but towards the end of my career really grew up matured uh, and and got to the point where I learned how to shoot some good scores, and and that that my senior year was by far my best. And I know a lot of those rounds uh, were under par, and just learning how to um, uh, go- golf is, is is so mental, and it's more about eliminating mistakes, and 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 that takes some some age and some experience to do that. And I think that was the the key for that season in particular.
3: You know, Ben, our baseball coach here, Scott Barry, tells us uh, in, in regard to college baseball that you don't play your opponent, you play against the game of baseball. Uh, is that the same thing in golf? You're not really, you're not playing the opponent, you're playing the game against the game?
1: Uh, no doubt about it. There's definitely some, uh, at times I would say you play your opponent, and, and there are things, you know, especially it's the, at the highest level, the, the most successful are definitely playing their opponent. You, you know, Tiger Woods, for example, uh, he, he has little tricks that uh, definitely get into his opponent's m- mind. Uh, and, and so, but but you're right. The majority of it is playing the game and, and learning the game and learning yourself uh, and how to handle those emotions uh, and, and the different scenarios out there. Golf is um, – uh, I kind of thought about this before our call, but uh, it's kind of a- almost like a quarterback in that you've got two reversed uh, parallels, I guess. The, you continue to improve mentally as as age goes on, but your physical abilities diminish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all about uh, maturing as quickly as possible um, so that you still have the physical gifts that you were given that got you there. So. Uh, but yeah the, the, you're right it is it is learning the, the mental side of it is is as important if not more important than the physical side
3: All right now take take any golf course in America and uh, hypothetically, the best player that plays at that golf course, the best amateur that comes out there can beat anybody on that uh, course any given day is just considered to be the very best in that area. And you put him in a match against a Phil Nicholson. How much better is, is a guy like a Nicholson, Phil Nicholson, or a Tiger Woods? How, how much better are those guys than the very best amateur golfers?
1: Um, well, that, that, that's almost two different questions. You know, depending on the course, uh, you know, there, there's a wide range in, in the best player at each club, first right. of all. Um, I, you know,. Uh, It's almost – the short answer is it's an astronomical uh, gap. It's hard to see, I think, uh, with the recreational golfer, when they see that guy at their club that shoots 68, 69, day in and day out. um, The the gap between that guy and the elite level on the PGA Tour, I I, I mean, it it could be as high as – Four or five shots per round, so twenty to twenty-five shots for a four-round tournament, and it, wow. that may be hard to believe, but uh, it, you almost have to be at that level to appreciate how good uh, the athletes in our game have have gotten. Wow. Um, wow. And, and and you know, I, I played at Southern Miss uh, in '99 to 2004, and and the game really changed. Um, it, you know, that was the beginning of the change uh, because of Tiger Woods, and it really evolved in, from, a, from a game to a sport. And, um, and now it's full of athletes that uh, are bigger, stronger, and faster. And, uh, and the level of play at the most elite level is at the highest level it's ever been in history by far, in my opinion.
3: So it's like other sports in that respect. Over time, the athletes just get better?
1: No doubt about it. No, and, and and you know, you, you still see it out there—the old sentiment. You know, if I do the X, Y, and Z, I should be there. Well, uh, the fact of the matter is, sports aren't aren't fair. You know, um, <laughs> God, God-given traits. You know, uh, some people have them and some people don't. And and, and the way the game has has evolved today, y- you know, you need to be six foot four, one hundred and ninety pounds, and as fast as a as a sprinter. Um, and, and if you're going to compete at that level and, and you really see it all the way down to the college level, the, um, uh, coaches these days where they used to recruit golfers now they're recruiting athletes and, and they, and they try and develop them into golfers, uh, much more than, than that was the case, you know, 20 years ago when I played. All
3: right. Luke? Yeah.
0: Uh, ben, the re- reason to, to follow up the, to Bob's question, one of the reasons we're wondering about the amateur is because Andy Ogletree from Little Rock, Mississippi, is won the amateur last year, and he will be paired at the 2020 Masters with Tiger Woods himself. Now, take us to T. Olive in Augusta, hole number one. Uh, I know Tiger's uh, softened a little bit, but what is going through Andy Ogletree's mind coming up at this sp- specific, uh, special fall edition of the Masters when he uh, gets paired with Tiger Woods in round one?
1: Well, I wish I could answer that question because I've never been anywhere near that situation. But <laughs> uh, And let me let me clarify one point. Andy Ogletree is not the average guy uh, that's running around uh, Cane Break or Hattiesburg Country Club. He is... He is uh, several several steps ahead. You know, anybody that wins the U.S. Amateur is uh, is such an elite talent and athlete. He he is not twenty five shots behind the average tour player. I, yeah. a- Andy Andy will be ready. Uh, I don't know Andy personally, but uh, I followed him very closely last summer. Uh, he'll he'll be ready uh, and and he'll handle himself well and make the state proud. I, I have no doubt. Hmm.
3: Yeah, but what a one, moment one
0: for him, right? Left,
3: uh, yeah. Go ahead, Luke.
0: Yeah, it will be a it will be a tremendous moment for him. About a minute left, uh, Ben. I, I just uh, wanted to, to comment again. Your O three O four season fourth lowest average in school history seventy three point two. But I'm looking at the different guys. You and I talked about. You know, one of my classmates, mm-hmm. Justin Elliott, uh, yeah. VJ Trelio. Um, uh, of of course, uh, our good friend Tim Yelverton. There's some impressive, impressive names that have played golf um, for the Southern Miss Golden Eagles over the years.
1: No doubt about it. Uh, you know, I, I, I love to think uh, the, the era when I was there was the Golden Years, but I, I think we all think that of ourselves. But uh, very fortunate to have, you know, some great players. Uh, Justin emails another one uh, who is my teammate. Uh, great talent. He's now the coach at, at, at Rice. still in the game. Mike Soroka. Uh, from Pennsylvania, was built like Michael Phelps and could hit a mile. Just uh, some, some great talent back then, um, and I know uh, uh, it, it's good to, to uh, keep in touch with the team, and, and I know they've got some good guys on the team now, and uh, it's fun to watch.
3: All right, Ben, I want to thank you, man, for being on the show. Great career at Southern Miss. I hope you can get back on the links really soon, and I know you do too, right? Oh,
1: absolutely. Thanks for having me,
3: guys. Uh, hey, It's our pleasure. Ben Snow, everybody, former great golfer for the Golden Eagles, and I'm sure a very, very good golfer to this day. Kelly Sander couldn't hit a golf ball if his life depended on him, but we're still going to bring him on the show next.
0: To the top. fourth segment of the Eagle Hour brought to you every day by Toyota of Hattiesburg, located on Highway 98. If you want to swing by there, go on their website first, toyotahattiesburg.com. Check out all of their inventory, new uh, pre-owned and certified, get you a Forerunner, a Camry, some of those great uh, trucks, the Tacoma and the Tundra, and our friends at Toyota Hattiesburg can make that happen for you. Toyota of Hattiesburg, proud sponsor of the Eagle Hour. Uh, Kelly John Santer joins us. No comments about Jeeves today. Let's just uh, get straight into it. Courtney Blades Rogers, uh, one of the Hall of Fame selections to Conference USA. Kelly, we were talking about her during the. Uh, the commercial break. Her, her senior year, just a senior year alone, 52 wins. Uh, she threw 46 complete games, 28 shutouts. She pitched 399 innings, struck out 663 people in one season. Is it, uh, it there, there's no, really not a, a case there. Janice Felder comes to mind. Uh, a few other, you know, uh, Tory comes to mind, track star. But Toy Courtney Bowie. Blades is not only probably the greatest female player in Southern Miss history, she's probably the greatest female athlete in the state of Mississippi history.
2: I would agree. And what makes what makes those numbers that you just went through even more remarkable is that Courtney came up uh, through the softball programs as a youth before there was this, quote-unquote, select and travel ball, which you know you see so prevalent now, which is why baseball players when they get to the college level are so much more advanced. Than they were back in those days, but Courtney did all this before that, so she developed those skills yeah. in a in a relatively um, antiseptic environment. You know, she she wasn't yeah. you know, she she wasn't pitching three hundred and sixty five days a year. And people always ask, you know, why is it that softball teams have primarily one pitcher and baseball teams have to have you know twelve or thirteen? And we've touched upon it, but physiologically, the body is made to make the motion that a softball pitcher makes. You know, the arm is made to move that way. It is absolutely contrary to all physiology that the arm uh, moves the way baseball players throw it. And that's why there's so many labrum injuries and rotator cuff problems, because the body is just not designed to throw a baseball the way they throw it. But, uh, man, she's she's really remarkable, really, really good. And we should never forget performers like her.
3: And two back-to-back World Series when she was
2: pitching.
0: Yeah,
3: and she, and
0: she threw a perfect game against the number two seed Arizona in, in the World Series. She's still fifth most all time in strikeouts, second most in wins, seventh most in shutouts. She threw seven career no hitters, three career perfect games. Bob, you know, you, you covered Southern Miss for a long time. How did how did Courtney Blades change the or, or bring the women's programs at Southern
3: Miss onto the national level like she did? Well, I think it's fair to say, Kelly, you can interject here. She she did it on a on a scale no one else ever did. I mean, to, to think that Southern Miss made it to the women's college world series in back to back years and went into the world series and was competitive in the world series. Kelly who else who else can make that claim I know of nobody in southern no
2: Mississippi. I can't I can't either and Luke mentioned Tori Bowie and she she was certainly deserving and what what makes it really remarkable to you guys is these are what you know the periphery sports of you know softball and track and field these are some of the sports that don't get a lot of headlines lots of times so in order to get attention you almost have to have performers mm-hmm. like those two mm-hmm. and then and, and when it they pull off things like seasons like that, then the entire team is under the microscope, which forces them really to bring their level of play up. You know, which um, which makes it better for everybody involved in the program. Now everybody's watching, we have to play better, we have to do better. The program has to advance. And it has. You know, but yeah I, I think I think man Courtney Blades <sharp inhale> She, and anybody that didn't even know about softball, they right.
3: knew who Courtney Blades was. Right. Well, she she set the stage. There's there's, yeah. I, I think, uh, no question. Hey, look, just a little over a minute left. Uh, uh, Schedule starting to leak out. Kelly, we we learned that the Saints are going to play Brady and the Bucks. I just learned, not that anyone but me cares, that the Redskins are going to open against the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, be the fourth time in the last five years. Have we heard anything on the Bayou Bengals? Not the Bayou Bengals, but the Cincinnati Bengals.
2: We just have, we just have all the other teams doing rock, paper, scissors, hoping to get that call. <laughs> 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 They'll be playing the Bengals. But as the schedules do, <laughs> the, count, Bob, the Saints <laughs> reportedly are going to play the Minnesota Vikings on Christmas Day in New Orleans. So Saints fans... If, if that holds out to be true, that'll be a Friday. It's a, a, a rare Friday game, December 25th, obviously, Christmas
3: yeah, Day. That's
2: Minnesota in New Orleans, a great rematch. Yeah. There, all the schedules will be unveiled nice tonight suggestion. on the NFL Network beginning with their three-hour pregame uh, show. I'm
3: going to predict that, that Cincinnati will either open against Baltimore or Pittsburgh.
2: That's, that's who I would guess, too, um, which – Again, the Jets are even hoping they get to play Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if, it, if it was a bidding process, the NFL could make a lot of money. You know,
3: <laughs> people putting up money to get to open against Cincinnati, right? <laughs> that, that's
2: right. <laughs>
3: that, that's right. All right, we'll have Kelly on the show more tomorrow as we uh, wrap up yet another week. Uh, we hope you'll join us then. Until tomorrow at one o'clock. Southern Miss to, to the, the top.
0: top. Slipping, slipping, slipping Into the future Time keeps
4: on slipping, slipping, slipping Into the future I want to fly like an
3: eagle To the sea